This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a redux episode for you because we are going to be talking once again about the tomato. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then <laughs> I think this is only the second redux we've done, pineapple being the first. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and we, yes. we, we, we wanted to do this uh, because... When we first recorded the tomato episode, I don't have the date in front of me, but it was early, early on. Yeah. First, first year or first year of recording. And we didn't really have like mm-hmm. our patter down yet, you know. Um, and so I was kind of I, I was listening to the old episode um, thinking maybe we could do a classic. And then I was like, oh, I'd like to I'd like to give it another chance. Like now that we've, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons this one came up as a redux was obviously we've missed it. Uh, We've had some travel lately. You might've seen Mm -hmm. uh, some uh, life instances, (laughs) life life shenanigans moving. Uh (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it was originally when you were asking me about like mother's day, I said, my mom, she loves tomatoes. She loves tomatoes. Uh And for like every type of gift giving holiday that I have with her, I either give her some kind of new uh, Bloody Mary mix huh, or I uh-huh. give her a uh, marinara or some type uh-huh. of tomato based po- pasta sauce because she loves like fresh tomatoes. So if I can find one that is made in Georgia or something like that, then that that's like oh cool the height. The yeah, key. totally. Yes. So for me, I, and I know that's kind of specific and unique to me and my mom, but that is what I think about a lot when I think about Mother's Day is what kind of tomato based <laughs> uh, product I can get her. 
Um, and we both love tomatoes. Like when I introduced her to a caprese salad, hmm. it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she had never heard of it. It's uh, like, you love tomatoes and you love mozzarella. And yeah. You love things. So like, here we go. Put them together. They're the best. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I feel that way about a caprese literally every time I eat it. So I, I'm it's always so good. Yeah. It's just like, wow, this is ideal. Why? Why do I not eat this every day? Yeah. Because tomatoes yes. aren't good every day, you know? Like, I will hold out for a really good fresh tomato. Yes. And we did talk about that in uh, the the old episode where we did. And I know we'll talk about that in this. But it, there has been a lot of kind of, like, pontification <laughs> pontification about grocery store tomatoes, essentially. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And not having kind of the, the flavor that you want. And that's kind of based in... Wanting to to make up a tomato that will travel well and will mm-hmm. last longer and all that stuff. But a lot of times the flavor ended up getting lost in that. Um, but uh, yes, I that's another thing when we do these reduxes. I feel like a lot in the early days, I was so excited to talk about all of my favorite foods. So I feel like a lot of my favorite foods are the ones that need the redux because I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, immediately. Yeah. Um, cauliflower. Yes. Let's go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But tomatoes are definitely one of my very favorite, very favorite foods. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Mm. I, I have such yeah. good childhood memories of, um, we, we, we had gardens when we could, when I was a kid. And like one of my early formative memories is just like toddling out into the garden and just being like, oh, food grows here. Great. And just eating tomatoes like right off the vine. Like if you left me unsupervised, I would be in that tomato plant. Um, (laughs) And uh, and my my mom's family had a had a bigger garden and um, they grew this one specific kind of tomato called an ox heart um, that I haven't been been able to track down outside of like their garden that I, it, mm. it was, it was big and like botanical heart shaped, um, uh, like, like organ heart shaped and so good. So like savory and lovely and, oh yeah. Good memories. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I feel like the, the tomato we could do, there's so many offshoots. Oh Yeah. Them that we could do that it has been incorporated in so in so so many things um but yes uh speaking of the ox art like when we when i was looking back at over this episode i can see why there's so many fun things about it yeah. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. so many fun things about it and one is that it has gone via these various names over history um like the poisonous apple the love apple the wolf peach the tax evader. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, pimp. Um, and there are a lot of myths about tomatoes. Uh, many of them tied up in racism, sexism, and classism, which we'll discuss. But, like, it's just this very storied, I want to say vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> it's culinarily <laughs> used as a vegetable. You can, I'm not going to, I'm not going to police you on that. You can. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. And I know, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the first time we did it, but your story reminds me of, I don't know why every now and then some scene in a movie just sticks with me for life and I can't hmm. tell you the reason but one is the movie Phenomena uh, <laughs> okay. John Travolta 
John Travolta's character has like these magic powers. Stop laughing, Lord. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was not expecting you in a thousand years to bring up (laughs) the film. (laughs) Please continue. Well, he's got these powers. And for some reason, at one point, he like, because Kira Sedgwick is in it. And he says something about like, why do we eat apples like this, like with, you know, you hold it in your hand, you bite into it and not tomatoes. And he hands her the tomato. She bites into it like an apple. And it's like a romantic scene, I guess. But I always, it stuck with me clearly as a kid. Yeah. I was like, yeah, why don't I eat tomatoes <laughs> like that? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a juiciness, juiciness issue, I think. But, yes. um, but yeah. I mean, but we eat peaches like that. So why not? Anyway, I don't know. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> now I'm like, I gotta revisit that movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think I've seen it since I was like very young. Anyway, okay. Uh, you can see our past episodes on the Bloody Mary pizza. Uh, I feel like we did a sauce that was some type of tomato sauce, but I couldn't remember what it was. Maybe um, tikka masala? Um, maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's kinda, sure. I feel like it's come up a lot of times. And something that maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't think of it first, but it's there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Our Campbell's episode, uh, ketchup. Sure. We talked about it. Sure. Yes. Uh, controversially, um, jambalaya. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just even remembering that. Oof. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I'm pretty sure it's come up in a lot more things, but those are some of the big ones. Um, okay, but. I guess this brings us to our question. Sure, yes. Tomatoes. What are they? Well, uh, the tomato is a type of, yes, juicy and savory fruit with a thin edible skin and tiny seeds um, that's grown in a lot of varieties for a lot of purposes. Um, they can be roundish to oblongish, grape-sized to fist-sized, tart to sweet, uh, green to yellow to orange to red to like purple so deep that it's nearly black. Uh, they're eaten fresh or cooked and are especially popular in sauces and stews because they do contain a lot of moisture. And although they can be fairly firm um, when they're fresh, especially before they ripen, um, they do cook down just so soft they sort of like disintegrate except for those seeds and skin. They're like a fleshy water balloon of flavor. Um, mm. They're they're like they're like a summer sunset at the end of like a long hot day that's just bright and and deep and just an edge of like refreshment. Yeah, yeah. Once again, wonderfully done. Yeah, it's like because they are they got a lot of that moisture, so they do feel refreshing a lot mm-hmm. of times to me when I have them. Like yeah. They're, kind of revitalizing or something right yeah Mm -hmm. and i got that little hint of tart yeah yes (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) uh botanical name solanum lycopersicum sure let's go with that uh uh, tomatoes are part of the nightshade family they're a warm to like temperate weather crop and uh grow on tender stems that can be either bushy or vine-like but but that are not edible those stems and leaves don't don't do that um, uh, the plants will, uh, produce small white to yellow flowers, which if pollinated will develop into a fruit that's, uh, pale to deep green and tart and sort of crisp, 
while it's still growing and then will ripen to any warm shade from light yellow to dark purple and will get softer and sweeter and develop these savory flavors uh, as well as they ripen. And yes, according to scientific taxonomy, it is a fruit. It grows from the ovary of a flower and it contains seeds. Technically, it's a berry. Um, I know, I know. Along (laughs) along with a banana, a banana is also a berry. Um, Uh. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But according to the law, that can that can be a totally different story. More on that later on. Um, The tomato is a perennial plant, which means that they will live more than one year if you like protect them from winter frost. They will not tolerate that. Um, But they're but they're usually grown as an annual that is for a single season and then replaced with new seeds or new plants. Um, The bushy varieties are usually what's called determinate tomatoes, which means that they fruit all at once, like um, like over the course of a couple weeks uh, at one point in their growing season. The viney ones are usually indeterminate, which means that they will bloom and fruit in these individual little clusters of tomatoes over the course of a season. And throughout history, uh, most of the tomatoes that people ate were what we now call heirloom tomatoes, uh, meaning that they fruit via open pollination and their seeds will generally produce the same fruit as their parents. But lots of the tomatoes that we have in grocery stores today are known as hybrid tomatoes. And they were developed in such a way that that they must be carefully pollinated in order to produce standardized fruit um, or, or to fruit at all. Meaning that if you plant seeds from those, they're not guaranteed to grow any fruit, let alone a fruit that resembles their parent plant. The word uh, comes from the Aztec um, tomatl which we did mention in our Bloody Mary episode. Um, And that is said to come from a a root for like to swell or to plump. Um, So, so it means something like the swelling fruit. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And the English spelling of tomato is thought to have been influenced by the word potato, which originated in our language a little bit earlier, but like around the same time because both were being brought to Europe from the Americas by early colonizers. Um, And yeah, uh, they're sometimes harvested when they're still green and firm, especially for dishes like fried green tomatoes, uh, which are slices that are breaded and then deep fried. So good. Um, uh, uh, But more often, yeah, they're, they're harvested ripe and softer, and upon which they can be eaten out of hand or raw, chopped into salads or fresh sauces or as a topping for sandwiches or various dishes. You can blend them into juice of varying thickness and drink it straight or seasoned or in cocktails. They're also cooked into all kinds of sauces and soups and stews and casseroles, um, sometimes having been skinned and seeded first. And because they can fruit like prolifically, Um, And a little bit overwhelmingly, in fact, uh, they are a popular canned good. Uh, They can also be processed down into like a thick, flavorful paste, which is absolutely a like secret and heavy scare quotes ingredient to making like everything tastier. Splurge Mm -hmm. on the good stuff that comes in the tubes that's usually imported. um, That a little goes a long way. It's worth it. I promise you. Um, But yeah, uh, the, the, the world is your tomato. Good tip. By recently, time has no meaning. I think a year ago, I talked about it on this podcast that I was having a trouble using all my tomato paste. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But okay, noted. Yeah, yeah. The noted. stuff in the tubes, right? It'll it'll last in your fridge for a good long mm-hmm. while, and it's so much better than the stuffing cans. It's so nice. 
Okay. All right. Good tip. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Uh, on their own, tomatoes are pretty good for you. You know, some fiber, lots of micronutrients. Uh, they'll help fill you up, but to keep you going, pair with protein and fat. Um, you know, yeah, so so caprese salad, pretty much perfect. Mm. I will say, uh, one of the um, pigments that's also a nutrient in tomatoes, um, a, a red-orange colored carotenoid called uh, lycopene, is named after tomato's botanical name. Um, uh, and and lycopene is interesting because it doesn't break down during cooking. It, it, it rather becomes more bioavailable, which is cool. Uh, a, lo- a lot of things, mm-hmm. a lot of things that are good for us will break down a little bit during cooking. So that's rad. Um, and lycopene is also what makes things like uh, like watermelon and um, like pink grapefruit or pink guava, uh, those colors. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but savor motto, but I mean, before ingesting a medicinal quantity of anything, mm-hmm. maybe don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shortening it up today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's there was been, definitely a, a big health push around tomatoes when I was in college. So that would have been like 2011 on. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I remember it. I remember. I remember it very clearly. And they were like, "Get your lycopene." Um, I think that way to get it. that 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 was right when some of the research about lycopene and bioavailability in cooking um, was mm. all coming out. So that tracks. Hey, (laughs) well, what about the numbers? We do have some for you. We do have some numbers uh, because tomatoes are heckin' popular. Um, They are one of the largest, most lucrative uh, vegetable crops in the world, um, second only to potatoes and like right up there with like onions and lettuce. Uh, As of 2020, nearly 187 million metric tons of tomatoes were being produced globally. Um, that's like 350 billion pounds. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is an uh-huh. amount of, I can't, that's more, I, yeah, I can imagine quite a lot. And that's more than I have a really good concept of what that is. <laughs> Every now and then, Lauren, you quote Star Wars and I don't mean, I don't know that you mean to. Um, <laughs> But I've just seen Star Wars so much that I'm like, ah, that was definitely a hand solo quote right there. Uh, um, <laughs> I can imagine I won- quite a lot. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if I got that from him, actually. I yeah. Huh. You do you also do everything is fine here a lot. Um <laughs> oh. I try not to like let this hmm. intrude on our podcasting, but yeah. I guess I'm just gonna do it now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, occasionally <laughs> huh. you, you say a quote and I'm like, is it a quote or has she just <laughs> has, has it just meshed within have her? I just subsumed it into my being yes. yeah I, that that one I did not no not neither Intent. of these yeah yeah I, I didn't intend mm-hmm. that one either for sure um mm-hmm. ah well I think I'm thinking about that 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 dog in the house that's on fire yeah it's yeah that's more that's of your that, mindset that's is... what I'm thinking about but but again yeah, yeah. I, I watched I watched the original trilogy a lot when I was a kid, so. It might be back in there. Yeah. And it, it also could just be me. This, yeah. Both could be true. <laughs> Any and all of the above. Yeah, sure, yes. sure. Uh, <laughs> tomatoes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a, a full third of that ridiculous amount of production happens in China. 
Um, other top producers are India, Turkey, and the U.S. As of 2017, though, Mexico was the largest exporter. I suspect partially because we they, they export to us and we like tomatoes. Um, uh, uh, followed by the Netherlands and Spain. Um, that same year, 2017, the global industry was worth over $5 billion, and it is generally an industry that sees increases in value year over year, um, or has for at least the past, like, 20-ish years. Uh, here in the States, Florida and California produce two-thirds of our fresh tomatoes. California produces 95% of our tomatoes for processing. Whew. There are also a lot of tomato festivals around the world. Um, uh, if you have one locally that you have been to and enjoyed, please write in and let us know. Um, here in Atlanta, we have one called the Attack of the Killer Tomato Festival. Um, it mm -hmm. features a lot of local farms and chefs and bartenders. That one's coming up in July. Uh, you're smiling like you've been to it, Annie. Yeah? I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I've been to that. And then there's one in, oh gosh, way up north. Oh, uh -huh. Um, but it happens whenever that that eclipse happens where we had the office event. Oh, yeah. They had like a big tomato festival at this winery up north. Um, and like you could get you could pick your own tomatoes. And that's oh. where my mom fell in love with like fresh marinara sauce. Oh, sure. And, like, so that we we have a couple of them for sure. I think the the killer tomato one, we tried to <laughs> use our name uh, to get free tickets, and they were like, "No, nah." Uh, so oh, I just went. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And it was great. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Podcasting is not the press. Um, that's fair. They're that's like, fair. Ah. Not a journalist. It yeah. is. It is. <laughs> um, uh, however, perhaps the most famous tomato-based festival in the world is uh, La Tomatina, um, which is a tomato food fight that hits the streets of Buñol, Spain every August. It's been running since like about 1945, um, although it was banned under Franco's regime because it had no religious significance, which I think you could argue with if you wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, since 2013, it got so big, like 40,000 to 50,000 people were showing up that they started limiting it to just 20,000. <laughs> they were like... "Wow." <laughs> 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 we gotta um, get this under control <laughs> yeah yeah uh as of 2015 um they brought in some 130 tons of tomatoes to throw the battle only lasts an hour it is marked at the beginning and the end by the firing of a water cannon participants are told to to squish the tomatoes before they throw them um to like to like lessen the the impact <laughs> Um, right. Keep it friendly. Keep it friendly. <laughs> um, also, they are advised to wear goggles. Um, yeah. Also, and I and I quote from their website: uh, "Do not miss the palojabon, um, a greased pole with a Spanish ham at the top. Whoever can climb the pole and get to the ham can keep it." <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's like Mulan, but with ham. <laughs> <laughs> and the pole is greased. Um, yeah, the pole is greased. Love this. Uh, mm -hmm. Afterwards, they clean out the streets with fire hoses. And reportedly, the whole town is like real squeaky clean afterwards because like the acidity of the fruit really does a number on surfaces. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if anyone's been, that sounds like a delight. Yes. Please. I. Oh, my goodness. It sounds like like 
chaos, like absolute complete chaos. Um, they're like, please yeah. don't try to injure people. Look where you're throwing. Like, don't wear any clothing <laughs> that you don't want destroyed. Uh, please don't rip anyone else's clothing. That's really rude. Um, <laughs> they, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> be safe. Have fun. I'm just like, wow. It's I. Yeah. Yes. If you have been, let us know. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> okay. So. We've made the case that currently tomatoes are quite popular, mm-hmm. but they have not always been popular. No, no. Um, and we are going to talk so much about that in the history section, which we are going to get into after a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, and and bear with us because this is going to be a fun. <laughs> yeah. Which of us fun, wrote like, this? Yes, yes. Which we did update it and change some things around. Mm-hmm. But in the early days, it was much less 
uh, Lauren does kind of the science and like what is it, and I do the history. It was sort of like a free for all. Yeah. Um, Which so... like that uh, La Tomentina, like like it was too much chaos. Like I was like, mm -mm, was no, chaos. we need to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, and also there is a lot of history. With the tomato, um, and this is already a lot. So, mm -hmm. again, a lot of side quests. We yeah. will go down mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but okay. The earliest ancestor of the tomato most likely originated in South and Central America, uh, where it descended and evolved from the deadly nightshade plant over millions of years. Um, in these kind of early days, it was small and probably more yellow than red, and the leaves were slightly poisonous. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. Don't eat those. No, don't eat those. <laughs> Around 500 BCE, the Aztecs domesticated the tomato and began using it in their cooking and also medicinally, um, including as, say it with me now, an, an aphrodisiac. <laughs> yes. Or in uh, ceremonies, uh, stuff like that. Um, from there, other South and Central American civilizations integrated the tomato into their cuisine. And I feel like we've talked about that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then Christopher Columbus. Yes, that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably ran across tomatoes in 1493 um, and possibly took them back to Europe, depending on the source. Um, Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortez took seeds he retrieved from the fallen Aztec city of Tenochtitlan. Um, I've heard a couple different pronunciations. I'm very sorry if I'm butchering it. Ah! Uh, to Europe in 1521. Another thing I read... I said it was Cortez who brought seeds back to Europe after discovering them in Montezuma's garden in 1519. Hmm. Mysteries history, as we say, uh, and there is there are a lot of mysteries in the early history of the tomato. I yes. will say that. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the case, by the 1540s, Spain was producing tomatoes and they began spreading them across Europe. They took to Italy particularly well. And then a 1544 Nepalese cookbook contained the first known written reference to the tomato. Um, author Pietro Andre Mattioli classified the tomato as a mandrake and a nightshade, which has been a source of confusion since. Um, mm -hmm. This was not the best thing to be classified as. Um, Italian nobility used the plant as a tabletop decoration because they thought it was poisonous. Yeah, because and, of this classification. Uh huh. And you know, being kind of metal, they were just like, yeah, like like it's really it's really lulls if we put this poisonous thing on our tables. Yeah. Yes, that is one of the most fascinating aspects of humanity, uh -huh. in my opinion. Oh yeah. Like, oh, it's Love poisonous. It. I'll put it right here on my <laughs> table where I eat. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. The English also largely believed that the tomato was poisonous after the introduction of it in 1597. The word tomato first appeared two years earlier in 1595 from the Spanish word tomat, from the Aztec word tomatl. Um, it wasn't the most flattering mention, though, because, again, people were kind of... There was a lot of, as I said, racism and classism tied up into the tomato when uh -huh. it came to Europe. Uh, and how people were describing it, and then it was thought to be poisonous. So it was sort of this strange intersection of, oh, I'm 
I'm rich and I will put it ornamentally on my table. And oh, you eat that? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, John Gerard's popular English herbal, I always want to say herbal, herbal, uh, <laughs> described the tomato as poisonous and, quote, of rank and stinking savor. Dang. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is how the tomato got one of its nicknames, the poison apple, which I think sounds pretty cool, but whatever. <laughs> right? Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but now we must expand upon why the Europeans thought the tomato was poisonous, other than the naming sure. system. Mm-hmm. Because there were a couple of reasons, although I will say most of them are sort of in the realm of speculation. Right. Um, Yes. So one of the popular stories you'll hear is wealthy Europeans liked to eat off pewter plates, um, which had a lot of lead. And tomatoes have a lot of acid, and acid leads to lead leakages, uh, and that leads to lead poisoning, which can lead to death. Yeah. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, However... This would have impacted only a pretty small group of people, um, the people who could afford to eat off pewter plates and did it regularly and had tomatoes. (laughs) Um, The impoverished or less well-off would not have had that problem. Um, And people did. They did eat tomatoes, particularly in Italy. So it's like maybe that was a piece of it, but that can't be the whole story. It cannot be the whole story. No. No. then there's also a French botanist, Joseph Piton de Tournefort. Okay, so previous botanists had recognized the relationship of the tomato to the nightshade family. But in the 1600s, Piton disputed this subclass, um, instead saying that they belonged in a new grouping of plants called Lycopersicon. You said it earlier, that thing. Sure, yeah. Um, yes, which is Greek for wolf peach. Wolf peach. I mean... The tomato has nicknames like no other. This is amazing. <laughs> um, the term is similar to the old German term meaning the same thing. And this whole thing kind of stemmed from a belief that people held that members of this family, like say Wolfsbane or Nightshade, could be used to summon werewolves. Oh, okay. To summon the them, beach. not 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 keep them not keep them I away, know. to summon them. Huh. I know. I well, this. it was kind of it was kind of tied up in they were also people thought they were used in witchcraft. Right. So it was sort of like tied up with summoning werewolves, aka maybe witches are able to use them oh. to become wolves. Or, okay. So I don't think it's quite how we think of werewolves today. Sure. Uh but they had a lot of suspicions about about tomatoes and wolves and werewolves and witches. Um, because, yeah, they were... Some of these plants are not the tomato, but some of them in that family are hallucinogenic. And so some people thought tomatoes were. Um, okay. And therefore, they got wrapped up in the height of witch hunting in Europe. When huh. many hunters believe that the tomato may be an ingredient that witches used for spells and transformation... And it's all largely down to that nightshade aspect. Um, And yes, uh, I don't know how I never put together lycopene, lycanthropy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems obvious when you say wolf peach like that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) It seems obvious when you say wolf peach. (laughs) 
Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but but like interestingly, like edible nightshades were not entirely unknown um, because eggplants had been brought to Asia by birds. Um, uh, I mean, not like on purpose, you know, like they ate them and then they pooped the seeds. But uh, but yeah, but 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 people in multiple, multiple places uh, had domesticated eggplants long before the Colombian exchange ever started. Um, and so eggplants were already part of Italian cuisine by the time tomatoes arrived. Right. But, yeah, there was still this kind of confusion. Um, and certainly uh, uh, all, all the way up in 1753, uh, Linnaeus, who's the guy who invented like the six level taxonomy system, did not help because even though he reversed Piton's classification, he still kept the name the, the the species name um Lyco persicon uh when he when he classified tomatoes uh, it's so confusing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then I just wanted to throw out there there is a whole website called tomatoes are evil <laughs> um okay it was I I looked over it to make sure it's still there, but I didn't get to do a deep dive but when I, I remember looking into it when we first did this and it was very funny. Also, I forgot to mention, I know I mentioned it in our strawberry episode, but I have a friend who won't eat tomatoes because she has a fear of eating anything with seeds. Oh, sure. That Uh they'll, like, grow within her. Uh And I feel like that whole, I mean, it's not that the tomatoes would be evil in that case, but it is kind of creepy. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That something would grow grow out of you like that. I get it. I get it. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, um, during all of this, there might have been some pushback against tomatoes coming down from uh, Christian religious leaders because tomatoes are not mentioned in the Bible. So they were like, Ah. yeah, none of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. However, um, the French might not have had all of these same hangups because they referred to the tomato as a pomme d'amour or love apples. Um, And brief aside about the etymology of this term in particular, because, all right, like, it's so lovely, and it is very debated, um, and the debate (laughs) is delightful, uh, because it hinges on the origins of the Italian word for tomato, which is pomodoro. Um, Okay, so there are two popular stories about how this name came about. Um, First, uh, the first one is that that it derives from um, palm d'oro, or the golden apple. As as we said um, right at the top, I think a lot of the tomatoes of this time were more yellow than red when they were ripe. Um, and adding to that, a popular opera in the 1600s in Italy was called Il Palm d'Oro. It was a story about uh, Eris's golden apple, which is uh, inscribed to the most beautiful goddess and causes, again, a lot of chaos. Lots of chaos in this tomato <laughs> episode. I love it. Anyway, um, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so, so, so the phrase palm d'oro was definitely in the, public, in the public's consciousness at this time. But uh, less romantic, perhaps more likely, um, the name um, uh, Pomodoro might have derived from Pomo de Moro or the fruit of the Moors, uh, meaning Muslims, um, who were kind of known for introducing exotic foods to the rest of Europe. Um, a pom- pomo de Moro was also a term for eggplants around that time. Believers in each legend explain the other one, 
that they don't believe in um, by right. saying that English historians later mistranslated the etymology. <laughs> and furthermore, believers in both sometimes say that the French mistranslated Pomodoro to get uh, palms d'amour. The story there, which is almost certainly apocryphal, goes that a French traveler once asked an Italian chef about like a particularly excellent dinner. Um, and when the chef started talking about Pomodoro, the French guy like misheard and subbed in words from his own language, creating Palme d'Amour. <laughs> wow. Lots of mistranslations <laughs> and blame going on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Gotta love it. Either way, uh, the tomato did grow really well in, um, in southern France. It was introduced there via cultural trade with northern Italy. Um, Though supposedly the tomato was grown in France for like a whole generation as an anti-mosquito repellent in gardens before anyone was willing to try to eat them. <laughs> I can't imagine imagine having such a beautiful <laughs> mosquito repellent, but yeah. Right? Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Also, quick marinara side. This is kind of where yeah, yeah. Uh, this redux, the idea first started. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure we'll come back to it, but there wasn't quite enough for a full episode, sure. it seemed. But I bet we could do one on, like, tobano-based sauces or something like that. Oh, sure. Um, so, as usual, people love to argue <laughs> about who can claim to be marinara's birthplace, but it's generally believed to have been created in southern Italy. Though, again, to me, it just makes sense that multiple peoples probably came up with this uh, around the same time in the 16th century is generally when people say uh, it happened. Um the name translates to seafaring in Italian, and historians think that it's because marinara traveled well and went longer without hmm. spoiling as compared to something like meat, so sailors would mix it with the starch-like noodles for a filling mill. Ah, um, which, okay. Oh, I went really southern there for a second, but yeah, I mean, that's that makes sense to me. I, well, but sure. when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, marinara. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so many sailors, again, coming up in these things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, slowly, as all of this is going on, mm-hmm. Europe as a whole started accepting the tomato as a thing that could be eaten without killing you. And I guess I should specify Europe who weren't people who already had been eating the tomato because <laughs> they were poor. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. It yep. started appearing in the 18th century British soups and more widely on French menus. Um, it made its way to Asia. And it's around this time that tomatoes started making some headway in the U.S. Thanks in part to one Thomas Jefferson. Yes, that guy. Has a whole thing about tomatoes and growing tomatoes and all this stuff about tomatoes. Uh-huh. Um but yeah. In 1710, the first known written mention of the tomato in North America popped up in William Salmon's Biologica. Um, it appeared in a few periodicals in the years following, but was still viewed with suspicion. People were still huh. not sure, which is interesting, again, in that way of like colonization, globalization. Sure. Um, people were still uh, not sure about tomatoes and I guess people are like Europeans who came and settled there. Um, but as, as tomatoes grew more accepted, uh, a new menace appeared. Ah. The green tomato worm. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Here's a quote. The tomato in all of our gardens is infested with a very large thick bodied green worm 
with oblique white sterols along its sides and a curved thorn-like horn at the end of its back. Mm, a menace indeed. <laughs> um, Ralph Waldo Emerson described these worms as, quote, an object of much terror. Yeah. Hate those things. Mm-hmm. Hate them. No use for them. Don't like them. So you, you, this is resonating with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're they're actually really pretty. Um, uh, yeah. I'm always like I'm always like oh I like it. wow wait get out of me stop eating my tomatoes because they will <laughs> they will eat all of your tomatoes and it's like my guy you're the size of my finger how did you do that and it's like burp I'm sorry uh, no tomatoes <laughs> for you. Um, <laughs> oh, it's got good taste I guess. Um, <laughs> well. Another account uh, by a man who went by, okay, so this is one of those like hearsay, hearsay things. So it was another account about this worm claimed that a man who was named Dr. Fuller uh, decried the worm was, quote, as poisonous as a rattlesnake and that the thing would spit at you and cause immediate swelling. So, I mean, I wouldn't mess with it. No, no. No. No, no, no. Um, And then, yes, going back to Thomas Jefferson, he really didn't seem to fear this worm. I think he, like, wrote about it. And apparently his daughters and granddaughters liked to use tomatoes and things like gumbo, which I know is controversial. Um, In an 1824 speech, Jefferson's son-in-law said that despite being an unknown entity for 10 years, uh tomatoes were by the time of the speech all the rage again this is also like a very specific i would assume class and bubble of people subset of Um, society yeah sure yeah but uh a good like peek at what was going on um here's another fun story uh okay so there is this widely spread story Uh that in 1820 a guy named colonel robert gibbon johnson decided he was going to eat a basket of tomatoes on the courthouse steps uh, in New Jersey, and a crowd gathered to watch him slowly die. Because <laughs> um, they assumed that's what would uh-huh. happen to him yeah. if he did so. And when nothing happened, people were like, oh, maybe we can eat this thing. Um, <laughs> and that's how tomatoes I- became a popular food item. Yeah. Exactly. But apparently he was, like, known for stunts like that, um, which is sort of, like, one of the reasons this is probably not true. Um, (laughs) Because it is, it's widely, widely spread, but it's one of those things that got presented as historical fact much later, like in the 1900s, I think. Um, But there's no real evidence of it. And... According to some things I read, the tomato industry wasn't even really going in New Jersey at the time. Um, hmm. But it is it is really funny and fun. Um, but yeah. Grain of salt. Like sure. you like to put on your tomatoes. There you, know? you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yacht Savarin wrote in his 1825 book, The Physiology of Taste, that the tomato was a newly popular thing in Paris at the time. He said that it had been almost entirely unknown 15 years previous hmm. um, and that it was at first very expensive, but now common in markets. He claimed it was introduced by Paris by the influx of people from the south of France during the revolution and that, quote, tomatoes are a great blessing to good cookery. They make excellent sauces, which go well with every kind of meat. Yeah, agree. So, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh-huh. Um, thanks in part to canning and to the Civil War's need for canned foods, tomatoes, which were particularly suited for being canned, grew in popularity and this culminated until 1897 when Joseph Campbell, yep, that one, introduced hmm. canned tomato soup. You can see uh, our episode on Campbell for more on that. Yep, yep, yep. But yes, uh, a couple of years before this, in 1887, a U.S. tariff placed a 10% tax increase on vegetables, but not fruit. Huh. But tomato importer John Nix was not having it, and he sued a port in New York claiming that since tomatoes really were fruit, they should be exempt. Oh. Yet the justice uh. overseeing the case disagreed, writing that vegetables, quote, usually served at dinner in, with, or after the soup, fish, or meats, which constitute the principal part of the repast, and not, like fruits generally, as dessert. So he was basically like, it's a vegetable, man. <laughs> it, no, no, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the judge was like, no, it's a vegetable. Um, this it case, acts as a vegetable, it yeah. acts as a vegetable. <laughs> it's functionally a vegetable. It's not a fruit. Mm-hmm. You owe us taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right. this case went to the Supreme court, by the way, and has <laughs> influenced a bunch of other cases, like, uh, a bunch of other tariff cases specifically like this one from 2013, where an importer of pillows shaped like animals argued that they didn't have to pay a pillow tariff because the product was a stuffed animal and not a pillow. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, um, this canning technology led to a dramatic increase in the use of and demand for tomatoes, which were really too delicate to, to travel at this time. Mm-hmm. And speaking of... Um, the United States in the 1900s saw breeders like um, like Alexander W. Livingston, um, who developed many of the surviving strains of what we today call heirloom t- tomatoes. Um, the, these folks were part of like a larger scientific uh, and agricultural movement to categorize and perfect uh, plants and 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 animals uh, for for food of all kinds. Um, and this is part of where. We get like like competitive fairs and and growing competitions um, that you know still in mostly rural areas today. That that's where a lot of those came about. Um, there was this whole to do about competitive pigeon breeding in Vienna. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of the the strains of tomatoes that were developed during this time. Um, to be the, the the tastiest or biggest or weirdest or sturdiest or like otherwise superlative. Um, a lot of them have been lost, um, but others were kept and passed down through generations. Pretty good use of anyway, I gotta say. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kind of going back to some of the etymology notes you mentioned at the beginning, Lauren. Um, by 1920, hot tomato was slang for an attractive lady. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Circa the 1930s, uh, refrigeration and shipping technologies were improving to the point that large-scale farms could provide uh, produce to, to wider regions. But... Most heirloom tomatoes being grown were, were too finicky for that. Um, so agricultural researchers set to the task of making sturdier and more uniform tomatoes. And that's where our hybrids come from. 
um, these strains were developed to be more resistant to disease and to have thicker skins and brighter colors, um, making sure that they don't burst during shipping and that they look pretty on store shelves, you know? Um, uh, and legend has it that labs, labs instructed their scientists to think of what would make a tomato a good projectile and then work on developing out traits from there. <laughs> Well, you've set me up perfectly, Lauren, because I was really curious why in pop culture people throw tomatoes, rotten tomatoes, at performances they don't like. Uh, hence uh -huh. the website of that name. Um, turns out people have never really thrown tomatoes, or not in mass anyway. Okay. Um, but they have thrown peanuts, eggs, jelly beans much later, mm -hmm. even at a Beatles concert. Okay. Um, and in the in the case of this emperor, who I don't recognize, venomous snakes. What? Oh, no. Um, Heck. <laughs> how do you get the venomous snake and then you got to throw the venomous snake? No. It seems impractical to me personally. People are very, again, putting something they think is poisonous on the table that they eat at. Like, I just, I don't know. Um, and I guess that story, which just reading it, I feel like is probably not true. But apparently it was more at the crowd. <laughs> they were throwing the snakes at the crowd. Oh, oh, no. Or for the emperor's amusement. Oh, no. Um, oh, dear. Or to clear people out. Wow. Which, yeah. I'll, that will clear me out right quick. Um Yeah. No, the yeah. second a snake gets thrown at me, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, message received. And I like snakes. Um, I'm, <laughs> I do too. I just don't want a venomous snake thrown at my face because so, the snake isn't going to be happy about being airborne anyway. No. I yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. I just told you I finally watched snakes on a plane. <laughs> I no thanks. Um, so, <laughs> there is one known documented case of tomatoes being thrown at a performer in the U.S. where the okay. crowds were were known as, uh, quote, the rowdiest of all. Um, and audience members showed up with armfuls of food fit for hurling. Huh. And that included tomatoes, not just tomatoes, but included tomatoes, which were cheap, smelly, according to this article, which I guess, hmm. um, throwing size mm -hmm. and made a nice splat. On impact. Okay. Um, here's a snippet from the 1883 New York Times article detailing performer John Ritchie's harrowing experience. <laughs> um, a large tomato thrown from the gallery struck him square between the eyes. Then the tomatoes flew thick and fast, and Ritchie fled for the stage door. The door was locked, and he ran the gauntlet for the ticket office <laughs> through a perfect shower of tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not encouraging anybody to throw things at a performer no. unless it's requested, but yeah. that's pretty funny. That is, <laughs> as long as the no, quote is funny. As long as no permanent harm was done. I, I don't know. Yeah. I would be, even if, <laughs> even if no physical harm was done, I, I would be permanently yeah. scarred by such, a, such an experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. man. If we, if we ever do live performances, please don't throw tomatoes at us. <laughs> No, you can gift us with the tomato. Yeah, I'm very happy, but yeah. don't, don't no, no throwing up the yeah. tomatoes please. or snakes. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I will say, PETA, P E T A, uh, did encourage the throwing of tomatoes at people wearing fur uh, due to their kind of splat factor in the color. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, and here's a quote from them: "Fur wearers, be warned! Vigilante vegetables are ready to paint the town red." Oof. Okay. Um, right. Speaking of, kind of, 
Uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the movie, came out in 1978, and that song has a fond place in my heart because we played it every Halloween. Oh, mm-hmm. aw, yeah, yeah. I did not remember this, uh, but in 1990, there was a mild panic about space tomato mutations. Uh, when NASA sent some tomato seeds to space, the point of that article was to prove that, like, we've sent other things to space, but the tomato was the one we were like, Whoa. "Oh no!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when those cosmic rays get a hold of our tomatoes, what's going to happen? Maybe it's yeah. because of the killer tomatoes. Maybe it's because of Attack of the Killer I think, Tomatoes. I think so. Yeah, honestly, all tied together. <laughs> yeah, hmm. it is. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, okay, so there's been a bunch of genetic research into tomatoes, and um, it turns out that the wild ancestor of all of the varieties of tomato that we know and love today is a, a, a species by the name of um, Solanum pimpinellifolium, known to botanists today as the pimp. Um, yep. It's a fruit the size of a pea. It still grows wild in Peru and Ecuador. Um, Back in like the 40s-ish, the pimp was one of the species that researchers drew from in developing these hardier strains of tomatoes. Um, There there was a widespread push to genetically map the tomato at the time, um, uh, led by one Charles Madera Rick, uh, a biologist who was once referred to as a cross between Charles Darwin and Indiana Jones. Ooh. <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. His seed-collecting expeditions to South America in the 40s and 50s, along with advances in genetics in the 60s and 70s, led to our current understanding of the tomato on, like, a scientific level. Um, and there is still a Tomato Genetics Research Center uh, in his name at UC Davis. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part, part of their work has been in mapping tomatoes species, uh, various tomato uh, varieties, genomes to find out what kind of genetic diversity we're we're dealing with in modern wild and cultivated plants. Um, The first full genome for the tomato was a Heinz variety published. uh, It was it was published in 2012. And as of 2014, this group had sequenced 360 varieties of tomatoes um, and found that Domestication has depleted the gene pool in a few areas, um, including size, with larger fruit being preferred, and with um, resistance to disease, with as, as frequently happens. Um, uh, so, like, what does this mean practically? Um, well, you know, like, genetic diversity is good. Um, it allows for happenstance that, that can create new and excellent traits. Um, so, so another part of this group's work is their... They're trying to to basically like undo some of the work that was done in creating and propagating these supermarket hybrids. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Meanwhile, um, that tough skin that was bred into these modern mass marketed tomatoes might be good for something else. Tires. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, so. So one of the um, ingredients in in rubber tires is this type of filler called carbon black that's petroleum-based, and it makes the the, the rubber more durable. 
Um, it's about like a third of the makeup of your typical rubber tire. Um, but since it's made from from crude oil, it's not great for the environment. Um, and the price is at the whim of the global oil industry, which is whimsical indeed. Um, uh, and since we've got more vehicles on the road now more than ever, you know, the industry is looking for replacement sources. Um, uh, research, a research team led by Ohio State University published a paper in early 2017 about how a mixture of tomato peels for stability and eggshells for microstructure, um, like like strength on a, on a micro level, can replace a portion of carbon black in rubber tires. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if, if this catches on. It could also help re- reduce food waste. Um, you know, shells, yeah. shells from eggs cracked before delivery, tomato skins that go unused in the making of uh, processed sauces. They, they could be collected and put to work. Yeah, get to work. Right. Tomatoes and eggshells. Egg <laughs> Earn your keep here. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, obligatory down note, projected increases in temperature from global warming has the industry concerned that specialty producers like Italy and California might not be able to grow as much in the coming decades due to restrictions on water use. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've heard a lot of stories about the tomato because I do love the tomato and all of them end with kind of like... We've lost so much of this flavor and also yeah, <laughs> yeah. climate change. Uh, but I mean, you have to talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 a, I mean, and it's cool that, right. It's really cool that those genetics departments are like, okay, all right, how can we like unbork what we have borked? Like, like what can we, <laughs> right. what can we do? Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with the tomato. And as we said, there's a million different pathways we could take on this one. So. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be we'll be back. Oh yes. We'll be back. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. That I I realized that I didn't even Google tomato world record. So, oh, well now I'm gonna lie awake because <laughs> I can't Google it myself. I only trust you, Lauren. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's a fun. It's a bright note for us to look forward to in the future because I will talk about tomatoes all the time. Yes. 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 But that brings us to the end of this redux for now, yes? Yes. (laughs) Uh, We do have a tiny bit of listener mail for you, though, um, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. And we're back. Thank you, Svante. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Lisa <laughs> Schmidt. <laughs> oh. That one we should have recorded video one. <laughs> That's that was a shame. That, that no one will see that. Yeah. No. There's a lot of genuine flapping <laughs> panic. <laughs> there was. If tomatoes were flying at me. Oh, no. yeah. I'd be out. I'd be out of town. <laughs> um, so today, because this episode has gone a bit long, we're just going to read one actual physical letter Ooh. that I have. Mm-hmm. So we got... A note from a listener named Ethan Fedita, and I hope I'm not butchering your name. Feel free to send me a strongly worded correction, (laughs) Um, but please be kind because I really like you, Uh, (laughs) in part because you sent us some harissa after Lauren had mentioned that you never had any. Um, And it just so so happened to coincide with uh, Ethan uh, opening up a harissa business um and i promise i we have not seen each other since i received the shipment lauren but i i have not eaten your portion nor will i okay uh, I all promise. right i'm keeping an eye I on you reese yeah i could take a picture and send it to you <laughs> okay. but it would feel kind of like a hostage picture so i probably won't <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> yes uh but we did want to shout out ethan for I've tried it. Uh, I've tried the spicy one because uh, he sent us spicy and um, uh, a regular non-spicy. Hmm. Um, and I haven't tried the the non-spicy one, but the spicy one is very great. It is spicy, but we love spice. Yeah. So oh, I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I put it in my polenta. I did a nice Ooh. little swirl. It was very, okay. very good. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, here is Ethan's letter that he sent. Hope you and Lauren enjoy my harissa. It's a more modern take on the North African classic inspired by my now 98-year-old grandma's mm. Maghrebi cooking. I love using it in a bunch of ways, as a condiment on a breakfast sandwich or on some eggs, as a marinade for a variety of proteins, roasted with root vegetables, or to kick up soups and stews. The sky's the limit. Please let me know what you think. And let me know what recipes you use it with or on. Um, I'm interested to see how it resonates. As I mentioned, I'm days away from finally launching via e-com store. So your feedback and hopefully a shout out uh, would be awesome. And so, yes, uh, happy to shout it out. It was very good. And also Ethan sent a link to, because the grandmother, he mentioned uh, her image is on the logo oh. of, of these products. There's like her story is printed on it. And he did a whole story about like, grandmother's hands oh um, yeah 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 and it was a really good it was a really good read and with excellent photography so i recommend that um and so the store is elfasi e-l-f-a-s-s-y uh elfasifoods.com um and yeah we he sent his product but this is not a, a sponsorship not or not an ad I, no just just no. a human who we like yeah Yes, and it was very good, and I, I can't wait to share it with you, Lauren, okay. the jar that I will not eat uh, <laughs> that is reserved for you <laughs> and you alone. <laughs> All right, looking forward to it. Excellent. <laughs> yes, yes. So thank you, thank you, thank you very mm -hmm. much, Ethan. Um, and we'll get back to more listener mail in the next episode when our redux doesn't go yeah. super long. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and you can send that listener mail to us. We would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.